1: The government does everything contrary to what you know and believe to be true from the Word of God. How do you respond? How do you handle it? How do you handle corrupt government? How do you handle government, period? Join us and find out, coming up next... Welcome. Once again, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Online at reformedheritage.org. We've been going through Romans, and over the course of the past few programs, we've been stuck in chapter 13. Not really stuck, but just captivated by these first few verses that lay out for us how we are to respond to government authorities and to what end and why. There's a lot of rich content here, which is why we've taken our time. Let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner, shall we? For again, a message called God's Ministry for Good. Here's Pastor Gary.
2: Everything that is said today assumes what has been said before about our text, that it is our responsibility to be subject to our governing authorities because the powers that would be, not those we would like, Not those we agree with, but the powers that are, are appointed by God, and they are appointed to do his will. Therefore, verse 2, we cannot resist. We are not revolutionaries, whether it is peaceful or aggressive. That is not what God has called us to do. Because if we are resistors, as it says in our text, we resist him. They are under his authority. Do we want, in verse 3, to be unafraid, to be delivered from ungodly governments? Then we need to do that which is good. Now, verse 4. The Holy Spirit, to begin today, speaks of civil authority as God's ministers, his servants. Our willfulness is strongly rebuked by that one little word, the same word, for deacon, God's servant. The same word that Jesus used of himself when he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to deacon, to minister. Now, the Lord highly exalts them, not because of any worthiness in them, but because of the dignity and the office that he has bestowed upon them. They stand in his place. They rule by his authority. Therefore, we must honor them. It's easy for us to just ignore this description, minister of God, and many people do, because how in the world could this be said of Herod, whom Jesus called that fox? How can it be said of Pilate, who crucified the Lord of glory? Of course, how can it be said of modern governments, at least in the West, who are really enemies of the true religion and would love to snuff it out entirely so they could rule unchecked? Well, whatever men may think of themselves and whatever they do, God is the one who defines men. So when he says, those who rule are his ministers, we must put our hand upon our mouth and be silent. God calls them his ministers and that must be enough for us. And it means that we must submit and our submission does not depend upon how they see themselves or whether or not we agree with them or even if what they are doing is righteous. God has put them in place. And if we submit to him by submitting to them, he will bring good to us through them. It may look like evil, as in Joseph's case. It may look like evil in Daniel's case. Daniel, you better not pray to anyone but the emperor. It may look like evil, as in the apostles' case. You may not speak any more in the name of Jesus or we shall beat you but what does scripture teach proverbs 12:20 listen carefully there shall no evil happen to the righteous things look like evil but god brings good out of them for his own glory listen carefully so as in every area of life we have to walk by faith here, We don't leave our faith and walking by faith, well, that's over here for spiritual things and maybe a little bit in my business, but not over here in the secular realm of government. That, my friends, is an ungodly view. God calls us to walk by faith in our families, before him in our congregation, and in the civil realm. He says to us in every area of life, I am the Lord, walk before me, be perfect, trust my word, don't doubt. There shall no evil happen to the righteous. It may look like evil, it may for a while feel like evil, but he says, I will bring good out of it. Ah, and I'll bring evil to those who abuse the trust that I have given to them, but I will bring good out of it. So the Holy Spirit wasn't speaking naively when he called civil governments ministers of God. He knew what governments were then. And he knew what they would be now by apostasy from their older commitments and by treachery and lawlessness. But the Lord calls us to submit to them, even as he calls them to submit to him. So what are we supposed to do? Plead with the Lord. Plead with the king. Beloved, you have his ear. Plead with a king not only to reform and subdue kings to himself, but also to change his bride's view of civil government. I dare say that many within the church, within the beautiful walls of Zion, view civil government as a necessary evil. Others perhaps would see it as, well, you can rule by your natural law, just don't bother us over here while we do our Jesus thing. They can rule by majority opinion or who knows what standard. But God says to the powers that be, Santa Clara County, Los Gatos, the governor of California, up in Washington, D.C., in Moscow, in Paris, in London, in Hong Kong, in Baghdad. He says to all leaders everywhere, you are my ministers and you must rule by my authority. I have given you and in accordance with my will. And of course, this duty is now more binding and more sacred because God has exalted his beloved son who was crucified for us and raised to God's right hand. And what does he say to all judges and princes in Psalm 2? Kiss the son. Psalm 72, another messianic psalm that has great clarity on this point. Psalm 72, this is the king of the nations who will rule all earthly kings. And it says in Psalm seventy-two eleven, 11, Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him, for he shall deliver the poor and needy when he crieth, and the poor also, and him that hath no helper. So he commands the kings of the earth to come into the church and to swear their loyalty to him and offer their gifts to him. You know, if the Lord humbled Nebuchadnezzar to where he would eat grass and bring him to the place where he confessed that there is a king over him, how much more? Now that he has put his son at his right hand, will we do the same to bring every human ruler to the place where they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord or judge them? Now, their failure to do this, the failure of governments at all levels to do this has many causes. But one of the causes has to be, if not the chief cause, the failure of the church to proclaim the duty of those in authority to kiss the son. Now, I'm not talking about taking to the streets or going and sitting on the steps of the Capitol and screaming. I'm talking about the church's recovery of her faith that what happens behind the pulpit is how God rules the world, because the pulpit is his throne in Zion. So when his word is spoken, that is how he governs. So if the church isn't impressing upon in her sermons and the exegesis of Scripture, the duty of those in authority to kiss the Son, to rule by his law then it is not going to happen because they're not going to do it on their own. They're not going to lay down their hostility to the king of kings. It is his word alone that is able to bring them out of their tombs. So that one of the things we must pray for is this, that in this church and in every church we would recover the importance of preaching. The pulpit is not a place or a lectern where someone merely delivers a lecture, but where God's Word is proclaimed by one in whom God has called. It is not for entertainment purposes, obviously. It's not for edification primarily, that we feel good about ourselves and walk with God primarily. It is the King teaching us directing us, and he takes what is said from his word very seriously, and then he strikes the earth with the rod of his mouth, which is his word. So if we would seek kings and those in authority to be ministers of good and ministers of righteousness, we on our part must speak the truth of God's word on this point to everyone, especially those in leadership. It is true, of course, that men who are in authority and they are ungodly will abuse the power that God has given them. But we have weapons that are more powerful than theirs, beloved. We have the Word of God, which, uh, as I have said, We must take seriously, for the Word of God is the sword coming out of the mouth of Christ. It is the breath of His lips. Do you want to slay sin in your life? Well, don't come to me and say, I'm struggling with sin, and I won't come to you and say the same thing. Or I'm struggling with overcoming fear, for if we are not seriously being struck with that sword ourselves and having Jesus breathe on us by being in his word and meditating on his word and praying his word, no one, not me, not anyone can help you. If the church doesn't take the breath of Jesus seriously and what we do here, I mean breathe implies what? We have to understand space around us where not many are allowed. Hey, you're in my space. Back up a little. Back up a little bit. You're in my space. But the breath, if you're close enough to someone where you feel their breath, where you smell their breath, maybe kissing them, that is an expression of intimacy closeness and that is what the word has got to be for us we have got to be intimate with it and to be intimate with the word is to be intimate with jesus because he continues to teach instruct and govern the world by his word but we see a lot of tyranny today don't we and it has increased at least in the West step by step with the churches giving into ungodly views of civil government and our failure to proclaim the true king, one Jesus. Preachers go sit with presidents and tell everyone, oh, he's a great man. He really loves God. Really? There hasn't been many of those for years, has there? Or when presidents and congressmen go into the national cathedral and they hear a soft, secularized Jesus who really came to grant liberty to sodomites and all of these things we see in our culture. And then we wonder, why in the world is everything so upside down? Let me just say this. It is particularly the preaching of Christ crucified Christ raised and Christ enthroned at the right hand of God, that evokes conviction, either of life unto life, life unto repentance, or of death unto judgment. Look at the apostles, Acts chapter 2. This is exactly, and we could trace this theme out through the book of Acts, but it is exactly this preaching that affects that kind of change, that repentance. Not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and you get to define it. Just learn the magic words, rub the magic lamp, and everything will go like you want it to go. In Acts chapter 2, verse 30, Peter is preaching to tens of thousands. And he says, therefore, being a prophet and knowing God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up Whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus, not a spiritualized Christ, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? repent. We see this throughout Acts. You preach Christ not in a nice spiritual presentation, you know, the Easter bunny kind of resurrection, but resurrection from being our substitute, from being our curse to now exalted, extolled, and very high who will bring judgment upon those who do not repent and turn to him that preaching is what evokes repentance is what evokes conviction and it must do in it must do it in us because how are we going to be encouraged to live for god how are we going to be encouraged when you go to work tomorrow or when you are sitting in traffic Or when you are in your home and your children are screaming to say, now wait a minute, what am I about? Am I about godliness? Am I about serving God? Why is this? Oh, because it always makes me feel good. And because things always work out well if I just follow this formula. No, it is because God has made this Jesus, whom they and we crucified by our sins, Lord and Christ. Therefore, in my mothering, and my fathering, and my selling, and my buying, in my teaching, in my parenting, in my being a child, in my being a student, in my nursing, everything comes down to there is a Lord Who is over all? There is a Christ who is anointed, and he will save me, and I want to serve him. That is the gospel that we need to hear and preach. That is the gospel that will encourage us. That is the gospel that will aid our discipleship efforts because even though there has been a lot of discipleship efforts made the last two centuries, very often they have been quite truncated, very diminished views of Christ. But he is the Savior, and very frequently his lordship is omitted. And these things always go together, beloved. He can't be a savior unless he is the Lord. He can't be our deliverer unless he is also the king who rules over all his and our enemies so as to establish his kingdom of justice and righteousness. So we're not here today because I don't want to get a call or a text from Pastor Gary wondering why I wasn't here Or I I came here because I feel guilty if I don't. Beloved, forget all that. We are to come here each Sabbath day for one good reason. And that is, God has made this Jesus whom we crucified, both Lord and Christ. So, I need to come to be taught of him. I need to come to learn submission and subjection to Him. And if I were to have and to live one day, or maybe my children or grandchildren or maybe ten generations from now where there are leaders who see themselves more in this way, of course there will never be a utopia on earth, but where are those leaders going to learn this? They're going to learn it as they learn Scripture from their youth as they worship in churches where the full gospel of Christ, the Lord, is proclaimed. So we are told here that magistrates are ministers of God. But man, can't we just change them through political activism? I mean, won't just voting do it? Well, I'm not saying don't do those things. But understand, Here we don't wrestle against Republicans and Democrats. They are flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities and powers and the things that we have seen taking place in our nation and throughout the West. I'm sorry. Men are too stupid to affect these kinds of schemes themselves. This has all the marks and all the putrefying smell of Satan's handiwork, of his lies, of his wanting to reduce the church to this little, like Isaiah called her, a hut in a cucumber field. Now, what is our boldness? What is our courage? It is to proclaim, to believe, to live like Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my Lord. He is the Lord of my fears. What do I need to do about them? He's the Lord of time, my time. How do I need to spend it? He's the Lord of my mind. What am I supposed to think? He is the Lord of my marriage. How should I submit to my husband or love my wife? He's the Lord of my business. He is the King of all. And he doesn't change. But politicians change every two or four years. He is eternal, fixed, settled in the heavens. This is the kind of gospel that the church, if we would recover this, which we lost very quickly after the Reformation, and either became revolutionary or finally capitulated to the Enlightenment, and now we're in full-blown tyranny. But if the church would recover this, we would see. If the church would recover what? Political activism? No, if the church would recover her own conviction and fervor that there is a king, one Jesus, and he is the Lord of all, my Lord, my family's Lord, then we would be on the road to revitalization. Revitalization.